Welcome to the Digital Mindfulness Podcast. I'm Lawrence Ampofo, and this is episode number 11. Welcome to the Digital Mindfulness Podcast, where experts from around the world will share their ideas and insights on the various ways that we can create more meaningful and beneficial digital experiences. Here, you'll hear insights and ideas from neuroscientists, user experience designers, TEDsters, psychologists, technology professionals, and other experienced mentors who will share their insights with you. In this episode, I speak with the psychologist and TEDster, Jocelyn Brewer. Jocelyn, who's based in Sydney, Australia, is the creator of Digital Nutrition, which we'll go into in more detail in the show. Jocelyn also shares some invaluable tips and insights on the various ways that children can develop healthier relationships with technology. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Jocelyn Brewer. Hi there, Jocelyn. It is fantastic to have you here on the Digital Mindfulness Show today. And I'm really fascinated about this, about your concept of digital nutrition. But could you tell us a little bit about your journey to this point? What made you want to focus on creating meaningful digital experiences? Yeah, it look, a lot of things, one of which was my own experience um, of my online world Uh and working where I do, which is um, in New South Wales public schools as a psychologist, just noticing the changes in kids and the way that they were using technology, not just for, for leisure, but the expectation of them using it for learning um, and the gap between teachers and parents' understanding of what was possible with technology um, versus what the kids were already doing with very little instruction. Um, so it... it it sort of came out of the fact that I was hearing a lot of people talking about digital detoxes and digital diets and this kind of negative sense that technology had been taking over or having a negative impact. And I really wanted to empower the conversation background to a positive way of thinking about it, mm-hmm. which to me was about digital nutrition, about setting up from the get-go and, and maybe for, you know, certainly for me or for a, a 15-year-old, it might be that the horse has bolted a bit and you might need to go to a, a digital detox. But for, for kids who are being born today, you know, what would a sustainable relationship, healthy, mindful relationship with technology look like? And what did we need to sort of build into that? Um, so that's kind of how it came about, how I got here to be sitting in a hotel room in Boston and 
traveling throughout the US to talk to people in this space is that um, I wrote an application to get a Premier's teaching scholarship, which in effect has given me five weeks paid study leave and a bunch of money to pay for these conversations. And, and you know, the fact that I'm sitting here talking to you in London from Boston, being Australian on this tour <laughs> is exactly what digital nutrition to me is. It's about those wonderful connections to have meaningful conversations. Fantastic. So could you just share with the audience just in a little bit more detail exactly what your idea of digital nutrition is and why it's important? Yeah, it's, it's forming and it's very emerging and very changing. So mm-hmm. at the moment, what I'm really interested in is the social and emotional skills that we can teach kids and are being taught. Like a lot of kids learn things like um, uh, what do you call it? This is when my mind goes blank because I don't have any of it. Self-control, for example. So mm-hmm. self-control, the ability to delay gratification, just being able to be comfortable with um, some feelings that aren't in the happy basket. Um, I think to some degree there is a cult of happiness in that positive psychology movement that really distances people from the ability to sit with um, unpleasant feelings mm-hmm. and uh, things like not getting what you want. Um, straight away uh, and being alone, our ability to be alone. So some of those skills um, and how we teach those and they're useful for any aspect of life. I'm not talking about teaching those just for your digital world. But then the other thing that I see as being really important is there's so many apps and games out there, 1.2 million in the app store, for example. Um, It's really hard to give a sense to parents of what the benefits of those are, what ones have Um, issues around safety or privacy, aren't really doing what they would say they would do by being in an educational um, area of the app store. So having a think about if we could put nutritional labels onto some of the things we do um, online, what would that look like? What are the the proteins and the good carbs? What are the, um, you know, processed sugars versus the the natural sugars and things like that? Now, that's a huge project and I'm not going to try and do that all by myself. But certainly getting into the the minds of people, the idea that, you know, if you are what you eat, then certainly your mind is what you consume from the media around you. So it's a little bit of digital literacy um, as well. I think this um, this whole idea of not so much the cult of happiness, but certainly of instant gratification This is, I mean, this is what the digital world promises us. You know, we're very used to having answers on demand and our friendships on demand and having everything available Mm. 24-7. And this is something that, maybe the business models of the of these organizations of these kind of um, um, technology companies that they would seek to encourage you know being you know kind of going using these products all the time and being you know scratching that itch yeah yeah absolutely um and it creates you know an on-demand culture um creates demanding people um, you know, we have everything that we want. A really good example my grandmother gives me now, she's nearly 94. She says, you know, the thing is when you were a kid, Sesame Street or Play School, that was on twice a day at 9 o'clock and 3.30. If you missed that window, you had to go and play. You had to go and do something else. Now you can whip out the, you know, device that has those kinds of kid content whenever you want. So it it really changes and shifts the way that we choose to prioritise what we're doing with our time. Mm -hmm. So your idea of digital nutrition now, is is this similar or linked in a way to digital detoxing? 
Well, it's a precursor to that, obviously. Um, I kind of think of digital detoxing as something that you do um, once you've overdosed or overloaded and you're recognizing that there's a problem. I would hope that digital nutrition would be some principles of how you um, use technology without ever needing to go to that kind of um, place where you're forcing yourself off Facebook for X amount of time or you're, um, you know, taking taking actions because there's been an overload um, or that there's a negative uh, impact. So this is really about a little bit about principles around parenting and parent conversations with kids. It's certainly not about necessarily using software to control or monitor, especially without you know, the trust of kids around um, some of those things. I have a little hashtag that I've started called soft skills, not software. Mm. And that's all about saying we need to teach kids those soft skills like I was talking about before in order to be able to mediate their use so that they don't get to that um, tricky, addicted, let's say, point. Part of that has to do with their brain development too. Um, The reason that we don't let young people drive cars or drink alcohol and things like that is because their brains actually haven't uh, evolved and adapted um, or wired up to cope with some of those inputs. Um, and certainly that's the same with, with technology when your initial input is a very um, sensorily complex one, you're not building some of the foundations that you get from the offline world, like playing with blocks or threading and using scissors and, and those, those kind of real world skills, kicking a ball, for instance. Mm. I'm really interested in this because you're you're a qualified psychologist and mm-hmm. you work in schools. Um, so I'm, your perspective on this is something I think that we should definitely be taking seriously. So I'm just interested in some of the changes that you might have seen in kids as they've grown into using more digital technologies and mm-hmm. how it's become more pervasive over the years. I guess one of the biggest things that I see in terms of the problems is the way that the activities the kids do um, with devices outside of school impacts in school. Um, that's specifically, I guess, cyberbullying um, uh, or sexting or any of those kinds of issues. They end up having to be dealt by school administration, which I think is quite problematic in terms of the, the pressure already on schools. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of from the high school perspective. So I'm, I'm in a primary school and a high school. From the primary school sort of perspective, we do see a lot of kids accessing a lot of technology at home with parents having um, maybe not a great amount of understanding of what the impacts of that is or even what the gameplay is so because grand theft auto is now commonly known as gta the actual underlying premise of the game which is to steal cars is sort of hidden from parents awareness to some degree and again in the schools that i'm in um up to 90 percent of the population have english as their second language many are recent migrants from countries where they've experienced all differing levels of of trauma as if you know moving countries in itself wasn't a, a big enough change in most people's lives um so that again sort of masks some of the underlying um I guess, gameplay aspects that parents are simply not aware that, you know, their eight-year-old is playing a game where um, killing a prostitute is a way of earning points um, mm. rather than having paid her for sex. So, again, culturally for some for some people that's going to be incredibly um, distressing. Now, an adult playing that is, is very, very different, I guess. So parents to some degree I think are trying to give their kids technology and to give them the best opportunities, but with that comes um, a range of skills that they need to actually use the technology um, 
in a, in a healthy, sustainable, developmentally appropriate way. You know, adults, adults doing what they choose to do online is very different to a, a little mind. Mm-hmm. And... <clears throat> I mean, this this is something that um, that we've spoken um, a lot about on the different shows that we've had. So, for example, with Kimberly Young, Dr. Kimberly Young. Mm-hmm. Um, but what are some of the symptoms that you've seen in terms of unhealthy internet or digital interactions? And just what are some of the things that you think can be done about those symptoms? Yeah, um, what we see, I guess, is just a preference for using the online, um, for using games and the iPads and different things at school. Um, there's also one of the things that's happening is that time online is becoming a currency. So if you do, uh, your maths, make a really good effort with your maths work, you will get 10 minutes on the computer. That is setting up a currency where kids think just like if I gave you, you know, $2, for doing your maths work. There's no intrinsic motivation to be a good human and to do well because that's what's kind of valued. Uh, and I think that's problematic in, in sort of setting up that currency. There is, you know, the increase in aggression and there's, you know, just, um, I guess, acting out, whether that's, you know, hitting out or swearing or any of those things when you don't get your own way. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't I don't want to blame technology for that or the overuse of technology for that. What's going on there is actually that the child is failing to manage or regulate their emotions. So they're not able to go, oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, I guess I better do my work. They're actually just having their little meltdown or their tantrum. So that's a part of what I see, you know, the parents and the school's role as helping kids learn some of those emotion regulation skills. And, again, that comes down to your brain and the way your brain's wired up um, to be able to toggle between your prefrontal cortex, which controls a lot of um, your executive functions and the way you make decisions and your emotion kind of centre back in your amygdala and further down in your, your um, sort of fight, flight, freeze brain. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, you've spoken, I mean, you just mentioned there that idea of emotional regulation um, when, in the digital age. Do you think that digital te- technologies encourage us to devalue social and emotional regulation or to um, kind of skew it in different ways? Yeah, that's a really good question because I think what happens is it becomes really automatic. It becomes something that we do really immediately and sometimes we're just trying to, um, say, reply or comment on things to be the first one in there to try and, you know, get a conversation starting. But we're not actually very mindful about the impact of what that has or why we're actually doing that. So one of the things I'm starting to talk more and more about is the context and the function of what we do online. So what is what is the bigger picture of why you're posting or what you're doing, what activity you're engaging in, and what's the underlying reason that you're doing that, yeah? So for me at the moment, five weeks on the road, missing my family and friends, there's suddenly heaps of selfies on my Instagram feed. Mm. Why? Because I'm away. What's the function of that? I want to communicate and connect. Um, You know, that could be healthy. That could be just a little bit narcissistic. Um, Again, you know, binge watching TV. If you've just had your wisdom teeth out, then spending a whole weekend watching, you know, the new season of Orange is the New Black, probably, you know, not going to have a really big impact long term. Um, It's about that context, a bigger picture of what's going on and the underlying function 
of why we do those things. So then I guess then a a digital nutrition framework, if you like, Mm -hmm. that would help then people to be able to look at their their digital behavior, the online behavior, if you like, and then contextualize it and understand whether it's healthy or not. And I guess that's different to, say, an age rating framework that would appear on things like video games yes yeah so it's much more complex and nuanced than just saying what's the rating of this game it's about saying well what would the benefit to me playing this game be what am I trying to get out of gameplay is it because I just need a bit of an escape and I'm going to do it for an hour on the weekend and it's not going to have an impact and and actually defining the degree to which you can do things before it has a negative impact yeah, and most people overestimate how long they can play or how long they can engage with things before that it has a negative impact because you can't actually see that negative impact until a lot of the wheels have fallen off. And we can use examples from substance abuse and, and things like that to have a look at, you know, how do we gauge when it's time to make a change because things have gone wrong. Part of that is because we're so... Um, we're not tuned in enough, I don't think, to how things are making us feel. We don't have, um, I guess, some of the some of the awarenesses of our emotions and of how things influence our emotions. And you know, mindfulness techniques and different meditative practices help us tune into those things. Mm. So something like um, like a concept like cyberbullying, for example, mm-hmm. bullying online or or sexting. These are these would be things that I guess would make people feel good or happy in when they're actually doing it in the moment, but they would have either a no concept of how that might make them feel or the other person feel in the future, but also that kind of like networked thinking, you know, how it makes the other person feel right now. That's um, right. That's right. There's a lack of ability to take empathy in some of those situations. Cyberbullying is a really interesting one because really it's just bullying with that lens of cyber on the top of it and the ability for some of those issues then to be amplified. Um, but the underlying reasons that a bully bullies is still there um, and those are the things that need to be to be looked at from, you know, cognitive behavioural therapy doesn't, you don't have to be in therapy to actually get CBT or use the principles of CBT. Um, You can kind of use um, CBT from a mindfulness or from a positive psychology sort of point of view, thinking about what are my automatic thoughts, what are my beliefs, why am I taking this action, how can I do something differently that's more positive. So um, I've just come actually from Philadelphia and the Beck Institute with Aaron Beck himself, the father of CBT. Um, talking about mindfulness and again you know really interesting example there that that somebody like Aaron Beck is is definitely incorporating mindfulness and talking about his experience of transcendental meditation um, from 30 years ago and incorporating it into his work at at nearly 94 which is really exciting. Fantastic I mean I mean as you mentioned previously you're actually traveling around the US right now Um, Mm -hmm. Um, to develop this concept of digital nutrition and even though you just talked about this amazing trip to Philadelphia um, can you share some of the other things that you found um, whilst sharing and developing the digital nutrition concept? Yeah, well, one of my favorite things, and I'm sure you and your listeners would love to hear about, is Camp Grounded, which is run by the Digital Detox Collective up at um, just outside of San Francisco. I think they're based in Oakland. And Camp Grounded is a summer camp for adults 
where there is absolutely no technology and there's not even the use of your real name. So my camp name is Jillaroo. Um, and I couldn't, one of the other really exciting things is you don't talk about work. So I couldn't even explain to people why I was there all the way from Sydney because it was a part of my W and that was a band conversation. Um, a really interesting collective of people doing the attention to detail and the, the focus on the beautiful experiences was just amazing. You should definitely check that out. Um, I also was at Yale a couple of days ago in New Haven and I talked to the play play to prevent lab and Kimberly there who they develop games specifically around um health and kind of public service issues so you know getting kids to use condoms and having conversations those you know quite sometimes awkward conversations around safe sex Mm -hmm. um and how do you actually play a game and create a game that kids want to play because it's a bit dorky sometimes some of those games um and also to the c8 sciences lab with um professor bruce wexler who look is a a bit of a name I guess in neuroscience and in his lab with the activate program which is um sort of like brain training but a lot more complex in in the background and and the kind of coding and work that goes on to create his games they're specifically for kids with ADHD and they're to promote um Uh, improved functioning around executive, um, those executive functions that sit in the prefrontal cortex. Mm. And there's some really interesting data that he's got coming out around, um, around the way that those games can actually change those executive functioning skills in kids who, who have those deficits. Um, so that was pretty exciting. Wow. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I hope there's going to be a book. (laughs) <laughs> out about this. <laughs> yes, I hope so too. It's it's always the factor of time, right? So <laughs> absolutely, um, it probably will be a book, but more likely before that is just a, a short report on on the trip, and and it's going to be a journey to develop this thing. At the moment, it's really just a concept that I'd love more people to be able to use to talk about technology in that proactive, positive way, rather than the lens of fear and you know the zombie apocalypse kind of stuff. That's great. And when you release that, certainly I'll, um, I'll post a link to that on the website because I'd love to read that. Um, if you use it, right? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So, um, so you were talking about, um, you made mention of this concept of mindfulness um, mm-hmm. and how it's been used in, this, in the different institutions to help with emotion regulation, etc. Um, in your opinion, do you think software or, again, our digital experiences can be made um, mindful or do you think that it's actually the people themselves that have to develop this um, sense of yeah. mindfulness? Yeah, well, guess who makes the technology? Technology is created by humans. So humans need to take a little bit more responsibility around what they build into the apps and games that they, they create. Um, I spend a lot of time not telling kids to you know use their phones less or do less gaming, but actually... Um, to use different games and apps to do different things. For example, use an app called Smiling Mind, which is in effect, you know, for me, I've tried a lot of apps on mindfulness, one of the best ones, and actually caters for kids from the age of seven with very short lessons on how to be mindful and a mindfulness practice. It's Australian designed. It's really just quite an amazing, um, really research and science-based app. Uh, And I think, you know, that's a really good example of of saying, well, just choose better stuff. What's the kale of the online world? Let's focus more on on that rather than the kind of candy stuff or the stuff that's 
um, doesn't have some of the research to back, you know, its efficacy. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Jocelyn, what, in your opinion, are some of the applications or practices that lead to good digital nu- nutrition? Like, what would you say is the the kale in the yeah, app store? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> look, and the kale is what you're doing online. Even if you ate five kilos of kale, it's probably not good for you. So, we still need that balance um, right. around um, your online and your offline worlds. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Using technology as a tool for meeting up with people, for example, you know, texting, where you're going to be, creating events, collectivizing people into into those sorts of things. Um, I think it's about, you know, again, an individualized approach. It's not one size fits all. Some people are allergic to dairy or have intolerances for different things. So with that online world and your online you know, diet, so to speak, you, you actually have to do what works for you. Your job might demand you to to use um, technology in certain ways. Um, there's a lot of tips and tricks out there for mediating your use, for being aware of what you do. Um, I really, I, I'll give you an example of my own, the own, a, a way that I kind of mediated my own use was in a charity month, I decided that, okay, in order to make my contribution to this charity, every time I tweet, it's going to cost me a dollar. Now you can imagine that that month my Twittering went down a lot, my tweeting, whatever you call it, went down a lot, but it still cost me $125. So if we start to think about every time you touch your phone or you check your Facebook, if that actually had a cost, which it does, it's just not a financial one, what would that, how would that change your behavior? How would that change what you were actually looking for? Um, so there's lots of ways that you can tweak and play with that and I, and you know, my way is certainly not the highway. There's a lot of people out there with, with ideas on that. But it's about being creative and ask, asking yourself, what's my actual goal here? Is it to be more connected? Is it to be less connected? Is it to be able to, you know, be somewhere where people can't find me um, and actually build something around what your particular goal is? Mm-hmm. So you work with children all I the do. time. Um I'm really interested in talking to them about this whole idea of digital nutrition, especially this whole framework of before people going, go online, how they can um, orient their behavior so that it's most beneficial to them. But what are some of the payoffs for being aware of our digital nutrition? How would I sell it to them? <laughs> well, I guess it's a what I see as happening here is it's really about linking them to a really positive future. If you have a 14-year-old boy from an ethnic background where, you know, there's not a great deal of positive thinking around his future, um, then it would be really easy to pick up your phone or pick up, you know, your console and play mindlessly. So once you have something in your future and a really clear goal and a really clear sense that there are steps towards that goal, I think a lot of the ways that kids um, act and behave falls into line with those goals, not entirely and not all the time, but certainly um, when you have a positive future and you feel like you're supported in getting to that future, you will make different choices. So that, again, comes back down to some of the emotion regulation and the actual human side of digital nutrition is this is not just about the digital world. This is about being human. This is about why what's you know the meaning of life to some degree is to actually have that purpose and that's a really big aspect of um positive psychology you know the biggest 
part of that is, is finding your purpose and living in line with your values. So once we actually start working out what we value and living in line with those values, then that's one of the skills that help you become, you know, digitally mindful and, and have a great sense of digital nutrition. I think this is the most incredible thing that I found in this whole digital mindfulness journey that even though we are talking about these tools and we're talking about smartphones and actually the question always comes back to being human it's always about what we can do and how we can develop our human faculties to um to bring us to bring out the best of ourselves for ourselves Absolutely. We're hunters and gatherers. And at the moment, we're hunters and gatherers of information and of things that we can share in order to demonstrate that we're, you know, a valuable human being that has things to contribute to our tribe. Um, And and that's just shifted through a lens of of technology and technology we've created. Um, What's the quote? I think it was Aristotle who, who was really worried about things being written down because we'd lose our ability to remember Like I can't remember exactly who it is. I'd have to Google it because that's how my mind works, right? (laughs) So, you know, each generation there's a fear around technology, whatever level of technology you're talking about. Um, And and I think maybe to some degree in in two generations' time they'll look back and go, remember when we were all freaked out about, you know, our smartphone addictions? Just the way, you know, people thought the Beatles were going to have this terrible kind of – you know, influence on society or TV or, you know, insert whatever, you know, piece of technology, Google Glass. I mean, no one's even using that anymore, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's always something to be afraid of or something to embrace in a balanced way. So I, I think kind of listening to you talk about digital nutrition and even though you're saying this concept is still um, being concretized, it's, we were talking in the pre-interview um, about this, but I just wondered if you can share with the audience any potential therapeutic applications it could have. Um, well, I hope that, you know, to some degree the concept, again, prevents the need to go into therapy or go to that, you know, the side where there's a problem and you need to remediate that. Um, it's interesting, I guess, with emojis, there's a lot of use of technology with kids on the autism spectrum. Um, so the way that that kind of sometimes works is to, to break down and to create situations or, you know, I guess what I'm thinking about here is Minecraft. There's a, a, there's a server for Minecraft um, called Autcraft, so putting the craft into autism, where kids on the spectrum can actually play within a Minecraft server that has specific rules and is designed to help them, um, I guess, read some of the emotions and deal with um, the online world in a way that's actually helping them with their, their skills deficit. Um, I think what we were talking about earlier too in terms of emojis was, you know, the simple emojis around you know, smiley faces or winky faces in their purest form look nothing like a human face, mm. really. Um, and if you're trying to get a child who is on the spectrum to understand emotion, then that's one of the most peculiar ways to try and communicate um, emotions mm. uh, unless you know of any person who has a yellow head, for example. <laughs> um, so I guess, you know, looking more closely at 
how we try and use things therapeutically um, and, and to consider how human is this? Is this really close to what we do as, as humans? Um, so, yeah, I mean, in terms of the therapeutic use, it's really about who designs the the, um, the app or the game or whatever you're doing and then, again, the context and the function of using it. Um, because if somebody has anxiety, for instance, and then they always are trying to use mindfulness in, in a way that's not dealing with the source of their anxiety, then that's not actually useful either. So there are, um, uh, uh, even with mindfulness, you can be using it in a, in a maladaptive way, not the wrong way, but in a, in a way that's maladaptive to actually dealing with the issue, which is, you know, your anxiety or your phobia or whatever that is. That makes sense. It does. It does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so Justin, th- that was amazing. Thank you so much for for coming on the show and being a part uh-huh. and sharing your insights with us. Where can people find out more about you and your work? So probably the easiest place to go to is jocelynbrewer.com. From there, you'll see that there's a bunch of um, resources and media. And then the digital nutrition site actually runs off that and will be its own site just as soon as I get around to to building it. Um, And that will have more specific stuff to do with digital nutrition. Um, So if you go to Jocelyn Brewer, that's the best starting point. Fantastic. And I will definitely provide a link to that in the show notes. But um, Jocelyn, Jocelyn Brewer, thank you so much for being a part of the Digital Mindfulness Show today. I really, really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Learning how to create meaningful and healthy relationships with technology is essential, not just for adults, but particularly for children. I think this digital nutrition framework could be really important in helping parents and people more generally to make quick, informed decisions as to how they spend their time in digital environments. As I said in the episode, links to everything we spoke about are going to be in the show notes, and you can find those at digitalmindfulness.net. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star rating in iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud as this helps people to find the information that they need quicker. Until the next show, stay safe and we'll be back with more amazing guests.